0: Good afternoon, Seven Investors. We're going to open the show. uh, Let me tell you who I am first. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. My friends call me Dan. I'm being joined today by Matt Cochran and Max Chasco, and I'm taking it down a little bit because I want to open up with uh, a little bit of a tribute. Tommy Lasorda, the, uh, the, the Dodgers' great manager, sort of a, a person known to my generation, maybe Matt, maybe you could jump in on this from the Baseball Bunch, uh, a Saturday morning show, which I didn't even like baseball, kind of got me into baseball. He passed away today. So, you know, to the Dodgers family, to everyone touched by Tommy Lasorda, this is a sad day. Matt, were you a Baseball Bunch fan?
1: Uh, no, actually, I missed that, but I was a huge baseball fan. I'll never forget the 88 World Series when uh, Kirk Gibson hit that uh, dramatic home run in the, the bottom of the ninth and uh, Oral Hershiser pitched like out of his mind and the Dodgers won the World Series, the team that Lasorda managed.
0: Max, is us talking about baseball the equivalent of like my grandfather was talking to me about lifting those old timey weights and throwing around a medicine ball?
2: No, no, no. So I wasn't alive in uh, 1988 for that World Series, but I'm actually a huge baseball fan. I played (laughs) it growing up. I almost played in college, so uh, this is not good news.
0: Well, that is, of course, not what we're going to talk about for the bulk of the show today. So Max is going to go away for a little bit. He's going to sit in the background here, because Matt Cochran and I are going to go through the streaming service. We get asked about this all the time. We're going to do it in sort of two ways. We're going to talk about the two tiers and i don't think we really need to spend a lot of time talking about disney plus netflix and amazon prime disney plus is 86 million subscribers well on its way to 150 million maybe even 200 million they're not even in most countries netflix is about 186 million subscribers i might be off by a few million there Uh, amazon prime matt that's the one where it has hundreds of millions of subscribers but do you think most people would drop Amazon Prime if they got rid of Amazon Prime Video?
1: Oh, not at all. Not at all. But what a but it goes to the point like what a huge advantage that is uh for Amazon to be able to bundle something like that which is probably what I think most prime members would consider a nice add-on. Uh, you know, and to be able to bundle something like that with their prime services.
0: I considered it completely unnecessary. And then a lot of uh, viewers sort of chided me and started throwing shows. And I I watched a little bit of Upload. We couldn't really get into it. But The Boys is the best thing on television. I would literally pay $9.99 a month as long as they gave me regular content equivalent to The Boys. I wonder... If they need it, if they, if they wouldn't, if it isn't just like Apple plus, which we're not even going to talk about because it's such a throwaway <laughs> where everyone gets it. Nobody watches it. Like you don't even bother to download it. As we do this, we would love your comments. The first place we're going to start, Matt, is HBO max, HBO max. The question here is we all know the reputation of HBO. They, they did the Sopranos. They did six feet under, they did game of Thrones. They are a top tier content provider. Um, But they only have 38 million subscribers. And 28.7 million of those qualify for HBO Max. But by October, only 8.6 million of them had signed up. That means you're paying for HBO. HBO Max has more stuff and you're not turning it on. That's troubling to me. So the question is... Can HBO Max and HBO – I'll count all their subscribers the same – can they become a top-tier player and eventually hit that $100 million threshold, which I'm sort of arbitrarily setting as a, a non-niche site, a top-tier player?
1: So here's the interesting thing about HBO Max that I'll say. I don't know if they, and this is the only one of these I would say this for, but I don't know if they need a hundred million subscribers to be, to be a success for the company. And the reason why I say that is, it's because of their price point, $15 a month that, uh, you know, and they're not throwing out content, uh, like the quantity of content, like a Netflix or even Disney plus will be, uh, you know, it's very selective with its content. So Of all of all the services we're going to talk about, I almost think HBO Max is in a league of its own. Not that it's like the best necessarily, or that'll be the most successful or the most influential, but because it can come because it has those hardcore. There are shows that you're only going to get on HBO Max and movies uh, that are going to be like sought out by a, a certain group of people, and that demographic is usually a little bit more well off than. Uh, like the average consumer and because of that i don't know if hbo max needs 100 million subscribers to be a success but no i don't think they get 100 million and uh but with that 15 a month price point i I think it'll still be a success a success
0: i sort of agree i feel like hbo is kind of in like tier 1a where you're right now let me let me give you the the bear case When was the last hit they produced? I I think it's been, you know, since Game of Thrones, they've struggled really hard. And while they don't take a lot of shots, they tend to take expensive shots. Now, they have some sort of ongoing, like, hits like a Last Week Tonight and Bill Maher. Now, those attract a well-heeled audience, but that doesn't matter because they don't sell advertising. So I, I'm on the fence on HBO Max. I think it's going to be a decent business. I don't love their ownership. They're owned by by you know Time Warner, which is owned by a- at and I'm not sure AT&T has the chops to really deal with the failures the ups and downs they're not going to be spending necessarily the money necessary to compete in this really crowded environment of course
1: and to your point dan uh like just real quick about that like too, like there's I, I, i don't know off the top of my head when game of thrones first came out but uh let's say 10 years ago maybe uh, right now, like if 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 somebody was pitching that show, there's a lot more people who would be competing uh, to bid on a, the rights for a show like that than there was 10 years ago. So to your point, it might be harder for them to find those quality hits that they're used to getting.
0: Yeah, like something like Lord of the Rings went out to bid and I believe it was Apple threw like, you know, some crazy amount of money at it. You're, of course, watching Seven Investing Now. We're working our way through the streaming services. We don't have a premium service. We just have Seven Investing Now. We're considering launching Seven Investing Max, which is, of course, a 24-7 feed of whatever Max is doing. It's uh, it's going to focus just on Max Chatsko, who we're going to get to after this segment. We're going to talk uh, the scary COVID mutation and what that might mean for all of us. So, Matt, let's talk about Tier 2. Um, And tier two is kind of everything else. We're going to wrap this up at the end talking about wouldn't it just be nice to have all these things bundled on one service for a single price? Oh, wait, that's cable. (laughs) Uh, So, Matt, let's talk about Hulu. Now, I have Hulu because my wife wanted to watch Killing Eve, and it was relatively cheap to bundle Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN Plus. And I don't watch any ESPN Plus video content, but I did like getting access to the ESPN Insider written content. So there's some value there for me. But I find Hulu almost valueless like there's nothing on there i need i have a cable subscription so i don't really need to watch law and order two days later or saturday Night live the next night to me hulu is unnecessary in the age of disney plus your thought here
1: well so i'll say this i I bought there was a black friday special this last year uh for hulu and it was like two dollars a month for a whole year (laughs) and i'm like oh you know what i was i've heard about hulu i don't know much about it two dollars a month no problem let me let me get hulu I I went I've been on Hulu twice now. Uh I watched Deadpool and I want to watch the second Deadpool movie and that's it. There is nothing else I saw on the entire service that I was like, "Oh, this looks interesting. I or I want to watch this or, or it it was like, well, I just, I think I just wasted $2 a
0: month. The second Deadpool movie is just Deadpool having dinner with a friend talking about life. It's not at all like <laughs> Deadpool. <laughs> that'll be so disappointing. if that's- <laughs> no, I, I actually enjoy Deadpool too. Yeah, the only thing Hulu has going for it is price point and the idea that it's the repository of R-rated Disney content. Like, so like when Mickey Mouse finally goes off the rails, that'll be on Hulu. It won't be elsewhere. This is, of course, an interactive show. We know it's Friday afternoon. We know it's been a fatiguing week, to put it uh, mildly. But feel free to throw your comments in. It doesn't have to be about what we're talking about. Uh, you can ask us market questions. We will answer as many of them as we can as we go along.
1: Now, Dan, uh, the one other advantage Hulu has, maybe, sure. is that you can bundle it with Disney. And like that, they're selling that. I think it's a Disney Plus or the Disney bundles like Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for, I think it's 14 a month. I it's do less. It's, I think know. it's twelve
0: ninety nine a month. That, that's okay, what okay. I. That's what I have, and I agree. Hulu's going to succeed because of that. Yeah, but okay. the hours people actually spend using Hulu are going to be pretty small. Now that said, we're not talking Hulu Live. Hulu Live is a totally different live TV streaming service, and I definitely think you know they're going to be one of the players in that very difficult, very crowded space. In this case, ESPN Plus. You have to, which is what we're going to talk about next. I same scenario. I think it works largely because it's a good deal bundled with Disney Plus. So Disney Plus is the linchpin, and then you get these other two things. Now, if you're a UFC fan, um, and as much as Max likes getting hit in the face, I don't think he's a big US UFC fan. If you're a UFC fan, there's a lot of content there. Other than that, this isn't mini espn this isn't you get sports center this is a lot of like skirt programming and extra programming there's some cool stuff like you got to watch chris berman do prime time for the past two years which for those of us older guys that's nostalgic and and fun but for the most part i have espn plus i am a pretty big sports fan i have never turned it on i feel no need for this and eventually there will be espn as a streaming app and i think that will be a major player matt your thoughts here
1: I think right now, though, that's basically, I agree with you, but I think that's by design right now. I mean, like, Disney is walking this tightrope with sports because it knows it's making a lot of money from the cable bundle uh, through its ESPN channels. And it has to walk a very fine line between still being able to be able to demand all those dollars from the cable bundle. So it has to offer exclusive content just for the bundle that they can't put on the app right now. Yet, I think right now, this is more like we're – if the if the future scenario holds where sports is going to be over the top and the bundle will be basically gone, like ESPN Plus is establishing that uh, that that place where they're going to go, where they can migrate ESPN's like sporting events to to an over the top option, um, and so right now I think it's just almost a placeholder and some like maybe some very dot di- you know like you said those fringe sports. Uh, you know, or just like those channels that are like for diehard. It,
0: it, it's like nerd. a cooking show with Katie Nolan and like a fired <laughs> SEC coach. Like it's right. really, it's really strange content. That being said, I do think the Disney bundle will succeed. I actually think ESPN plus will go away. What Matt talked about with walking that fine line, they get about 8 to $12 for the ESPN bundle per cable subscriber. There are minimum thresholds. So if certain cable systems fall below X amount of subscribers or X amount of subscribers that qualify for that ESPN package, certain rights come back to Disney. That's why, like, Sling TV has ESPN. So does Fubo, which we'll talk about later in regards to one of the comments. They made a deal with their cable providers to say hey how many people can we get 2 million people on Sling TV but well, we don't know the number it's not public but there is a limit to how many people can use that so ESPN as the cable industry shrinks Disney will have more power to launch a standalone ESPN service nobody knows what those numbers are i'm guessing it's a, it's a ways to go with still you know 80 something million homes having somewhat of a traditional cable subscription i see a bunch of comments in the queue all related to this we're going to talk take them after we get to sort of all of the services, uh, Matt, here's the first one I'm excited about: Discovery Plus. Now, I watch HGTV, I watch the Food Network, I watch the Cooking Channel. It's kind of my my daily background noise. Like when I'm doing something else, if if it's not get up on ESPN in the morning, if it's not MSNBC as the country is falling apart, I am generally watching one of those channels, and it's Guy is eating somewhere or, or Bobby Flay is fighting someone in a kitchen. $4.99 a month with commercials. You get a ton of content. My negative on this is it's not linear content. It's all in a folder. And I don't know. I never care. Like, I guess if it was new, I'd watch it. But I'm not even sure how I would negotiate where to start on, like, the 19 at 90 Day Fiance shows. Um, but I do think this is a really powerful bundle of content with a pretty dedicated audience that I do think as cord cutting increases, they might go to this service. Matt, your thoughts on Discovery+. Plus? Their,
1: their big advantage uh, is week.
2: they can –
1: that well the big advantage is they can make a lot of content and they can make a lot of content cheap like it's not like hbo where they're betting like the farm on every big franchise they're they're launching out there they can throw a lot of stuff against the wall for those like fix it or flip it type shows or for those like cooking shows or the diner, dive ins and dives type shows like those types of shows. Like you can make pretty cheap and you can make a lot of that content. And I don't know, like I was looking at their pricing like six 99 for ad free. Like, I don't know if that pricing is going to stick, but I think they could release a very like cheap service uh, for no ads. That would be attractive to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think $6.99 with no ads is a fine price. And here's the reality. I have access to cable because my HOA has it. If my HOA decided to not offer cable, I have Sling TV because at the other house, we want to watch some some regular television. Uh, It's a bit indulgent to have both, but I do. Sling TV has most of those channels. So I actually think there's an issue where I'm getting a lot of that content in another way, and frankly, getting it through Sling TV, which I could watch uh, through my TiVo, which is integrated to all sorts of other other channels, it works a lot better than having it as a standalone. So I think this is going to take some time, but it's a lot of content, and as Matt mentioned, this is not expensive content. It's basically like, okay, Guy Fieri's in his backyard, he's cooking a bull, like you know, like it. Right. It, 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 it doesn't have <laughs> right, to be. Right that complicated. And it, it's all game shows. It's all talk shows. It's all basically those generic formats, which can be done on pretty simple sets. Even something involved like Iron Chef is really just taped in a sound studio. Like I hate to burst your bubble. There's no actual kitchen stadium out there. It's really <laughs> it's really just a television set. And that piece at the beginning where you get to pick who you compete against with, that's stock footage. They're not actually bringing everybody in to stand there to wait for the pick. Uh, it's, again, sorry to crush people. So I'm really excited about this one. The next one, I will point out, I am not talking about the overall of CBS and Viacom here. I don't particularly i'm not a particularly big fan of viacom i don't think pluto tv which we're not going to talk about which is a growing free tv service i don't think that's a sustainable model that said we are only talking about paramount plus which is at the moment still called cbs all access this is going to be all the paramount content so all what you know from cbs and uh, comedy central a handful of other channels uh, mtv i think not anything i'm particularly interested in I just don't think they have the marquee content. I don't think there's enough in terms of volume the way Discovery Plus has and I'm sorry, but like the biggest Star Trek show is like the 19th biggest Star Wars show. So I I don't believe in it. I don't think it's a good buy. I understand they're saying, well, you get some live news and some live sports. Yeah, you get the CBS feed of maybe not even in your market live sports. That's not that great. Like if you like sports, you don't want just like part of the NFL. You're going to have to figure out a package to get all of it. I don't think there's enough here. I am at worst idea seven on Twitter. Let the hate mail come Matt Cochran. (laughs) You're up.
1: I I don't have much to add. I mean, they have library shows from BET comedy, central MTV, Nickelodeon. I guess Nickelodeon has some nice kid properties that they can put on here. But I mean, speaking as a parent of four, you can, there's a lot of kid content out there now that you can get already through Netflix and Disney plus. So I don't see at all. And if we're, for ten dollars for completely commercial free service, uh, you know, six dollars for uh, limited limited commercials like that. I don't understand at all what they're doing. I, I was like for, right before the show, I was on their site trying to figure out what I would watch on this service, and none of their new shows that they're advertising sound a- at all like anything I'm gonna seek out. So I, I really, I, I I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think this service is uh has a bright future.
0: Yeah. And CBS has an old skewing audience. I'm not sure we need like NCIS spinoffs or, you know, or, or, or various their other procedurals. And it's just, again, there's a lot of stuff here, but they didn't attract a lot of attention with like their Twilight Zone reboot. Like they've tried a lot of things and in a very crowded universe, you either need a massive amount of sort of background content, or I'm sure some people are addicted to, to to 90 Day Fiance, which is a Discovery Plus property and which literally has like 20 spinoffs. So you either need that or it's just so much there or you need the Mandalorian. You need that like one, you know, Game of Thrones. You need something where people go, I have to be there because people are going to be talking about it. I think Paramount Plus only has that in in niche areas. Yes, Star Star Trek has some fans. I'm sure some of the old people who watch The Good Fight, uh, and I'm teasing a little bit, but I don't know anyone who's ever watched an episode of The Good Fight. And I, I am 47 with friends of, of all ages. <laughs> Um, I'm not so sure that audience can figure out how to get to to Paramount Plus. I had to talk my mom through how to get to Disney Plus so she could watch Hamilton. Matt, let's talk about the last one here. Um, the last one is Peacock. That is the NBC service, and again, I get this for free. I'm not even sure why. I, maybe it's because I'm a Universal Studios pass holder, and they threw it to me during during the pandemic. And again, it's a bad interface, which you can fix, but. There's not much there there. There's some stuff coming. They have a Battlestar Galactica remake. That excites me personally. The Olympics will probably be a driver for them, but I don't see why you'd get this, especially when I went on and was like, hey, let's watch a bunch of old Saturday Night Lives. And it took me like 15 minutes to figure out how to do it. I, I am not sold on this one at all. Matt, your thoughts here?
1: Like, does it say something that like they, they advertise their free and their first uh, tier of premium subscribers by how much of The Office you can watch, like <laughs> where like where it's the free Well, you can watch the first two seasons of The Office, but when you subscribe up, now you can watch all the seasons of The Office. Like, there's 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 some shows on here that I like and enjoy. The thing about all of them, and I'm talking about like The Office or or Thirty Rock or Saturday Night Live, those franchises are not getting any more popular. They're popular today, but with each passing year, they're going to get a little bit less in demand. And uh, yeah, so they're going to, they, they might have some pull because of those franchises now, uh, but that pull is going to fade unless they come up with some big hits, uh, new hits. And, and Dan, one thing about all these uh, Discovery Plus, Peacock, and Paramount Plus, And I think that 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 Netflix just ruined for all of these companies is if you're going to pay, people don't want to see ads. And all of these options have where you pay, but you still see ads. Nobody wants to look for Discovery Plus. I'll pay five dollars, but I don't want to see ads. I don't want to pay an extra like two dollars to not see ads on Discovery Plus. And same thing for Peacock. It doubles the price if you don't want to see ads. Like I think that's like something they're gonna have to figure out. I don't think that pricing structure works long term.
0: It's problematic. You can go free with ads, uh, and there there is a free tier on Peacock. Um, I don't know what you get on it. Probably not all that Just much. The but
1: first, you see into the office. So, so, so you, <laughs> you mentioned other shows.
0: You mentioned the Office, and, and this goes back to Friends. There was a lot of talk about the Office leaving Netflix, Friends leaving Netflix, and would people leave with them? Nobody sits down unless you're like. 12 and are just discovering these shows nobody sits down like you know what i'm really excited to pay full attention to season four of friends like you've seen it six times it's like (laughs) my mother has the big bang theory on a show that i find super irritating but she has that on at all times it's it's on like 18 hours a day on on regular television and it's not like she's watching it's just kind of pleasant background noise for her you look up and like they're making some like boy isn't he geeky kind of joke like and and it's nobody is seeking out these shows look the office is on cable a lot it's not hard to get if you're a diehard fan i have a hard time believing you know you don't have access to it or or have watched it to death so i think what drives these channels is hits and you know Disney plus, as an archive service, still had great content it It would have twenty million subscribers if it was just an archive of all the old Disney content. Right. The second they got the Mandalorian and said we're going to have twelve new Star Wars shows and fifteen new you know shows based on, on Pixar and like you know Mickey Mouse is going to have a talk show, and Minnie Mouse is going to have an exercise show like you know the the whole thing is, is is driven by those hits and the ability to deliver more hits. So before we get to the questions and we we are going to get to all of your questions, which is going to take a while. So Max Chasko, you know, maybe have another cup of coffee. We will get to you. I I promise. Uh, But Matt, so we have all these services I pay for or get all of these services. (laughs) Like not discovery plus yet, but I probably will get discovery plus just because we do watch a lot of content on it. Plus I pay for sling TV with that being said, I don't like any of them like none of them are all are all that appealing to me and honestly where i spend most of my time watching is cable so i'll ask the question wouldn't it be nice if there was a service where you could just pay a set fee and get access to all of this and and i'm joking a little bit But there is a new service from some Disney executives called Strum, and you pay a certain amount a month, and it's all really niche stuff. Like, So let's say you like horror movies but don't want to pay $12.99 for the Scream Network. You get a certain amount of credits, which you can redeem. Hey, I'm going to watch this horror movie. I'm going to watch. That model to me seems really interesting, where somebody bundles together all these second-tier services, and I pay a certain amount. get to pick and choose i'm not sure how that would work in your household with with six people in my household of three that might work matt do you wish cable came back do you wish there was a different uh a different way to do this
1: well let me i guess the best way to say it is is like i still have cable i haven't cut the cord um and that's not to say i i won't ever cut the cord um but like at the same time there at some point I think subscriber fatigue has to set in, right? Like, I I think there's only so many apps I'm going to get on my Roku or smart TV before I'm like, well, that's enough content. That's enough content. And mostly I have cable to watch the news or sporting events. You know, I never really flip anymore, so to speak. Um, But like – uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I think I, 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 it's a great bull case for cable. Like, if you want to say like the cable bundles here to stay. Like, when you look at all these services, you're like, well, I get it now.
0: The more people who live in your house, the more cable makes sense. I, I think that's absolutely because my wife and I like different television, so it really makes sense to have cable because you know we have. Comcast, which is god-awful and difficult and and really hard to figure out what you have and what you don't. Uh, but that being said, it's all there. Now, a lot of these streaming services I have. T-Mobile pays for my Netflix. Uh, Disney Plus had to have for The Mandalorian. Uh, you know, upgraded to Hulu and ESPN Plus just because it was so cheap. Like I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Uh, but we're going to go through your questions methodically here. Max Lucas says, "Dan, I love the insight, but I respectfully disagree. As someone who does not have cable, I see Hulu as my best service. Only have Netflix and Hulu, uh, and will and will delete Netflix if they if they raise prices again." okay i see the argument if you don't have cable then hulu has a package of shows that aired the last night i can see the value there matt anything you want to add there
1: no i agree like if, you, if again if, if there's shows you want to watch and you don't have cable and that's the best way to get it that, i can see that being a, a, a value
2: for sure
0: max chasco uh, do you have cable do you even have a television like i'm not sure how it works with uh, you sort of millennials
2: Dan thinks I'm at simultaneously the best millennial and the worst millennial. I don't understand how this works. Um, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, I have Netflix, and um, my brother has a Plex where we steal stuff from. I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> but, whatever. Hey.
0: Best millennial, worst millennial, coming soon to the Paramount Network. Uh, John Hin says, "Hey, Dad, have your feelings on Fubo TV changed since its stock price came back down to earth?" No no it hasn't and and i'm sorry for those of you who love this business they have about 500,000 subscribers. They probably don't make money at 25 million subscribers. They don't own the content. There's nothing unique about it, even though they market it as unique, and they have an opportunity in sports betting the way everybody else does. They also have zero leverage. They've said they want to go into maybe buying exclusive rights. If they bid on something that Disney kind of wants, Disney can raise their prices or pull ESPN from their service and then what kind of sports service are they it is a long difficult road i see zero path and again friends of mine love this stock really smart people are supportive we are allowed to have different opinions i don't see a path to profitability unless there is a major pivot they are provide they are selling streaming cable in a kind of different marketing package. That's their business. I don't see that working. Sling TV, the big boy in this space, has something like 4 million subscribers. It's a razor-thin margin. You're selling somebody else's product at a markup. I don't see it working. I get it. They have more soccer than most services. If soccer was ever going to be big in the U.S., it would have happened. It hasn't happened. Matt Cochran, do you want to weigh in on that before you know maybe deflect some of the hate from me?
1: Uh, No, I'll direct all your hate. Definitely to Dan. Uh, Like what I would say, I'm not an expert on this stock by any means. Uh, Like it's growing. So it's probably doing something right to get some subscribers. But long term, I don't see any differentiation it can offer over any other service. So like if you're in this for maybe a short term trade or even like a year long trade, and you want to ride some of this growth and you think the stock price will appreciate in that time, uh, I have no opinion. But long-term, I don't see how it can differentiate from all the other providers and services like this.
0: Gregory Spears says, buy Roku. They don't care which streaming service wins. I, I agree with that. I'm bullish on Roku. It's it's not something I own, uh, but it is something I'm a big fan of. And I do love their sort of agnostic ability. I'd really like to see them buy TiVo because I think there's a, a lot of excellent infrastructure that that towards what Matt and I talked about the $49 TiVo streaming device allows you to log into all your major streaming services and see the content sort of agnostically when they when they can expand that so it's most of the streaming services and I can sort of just flip around or go from a Netflix show to a peacock show without having to actually switch apps I think that's going to be a very big deal Uh, Kevin and sorry Kevin I can't quite see your last name uh, have heard fantastic feedback on Discovery Plus content, very addicting content. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watch all those shows. My wife and I have spent, you know, f- four hours that we didn't realize it went by when we were watching not even 90 Day Fiance, but the show where they watch old episodes of 90 Day Fiance and people who used to be on the show comment on it. I absolutely see the addictive factor, but. For anyone who has cable, and that's still 80 something million homes, for anyone who has a Sling TV, any of those types of services, you probably have access to a lot of those networks anyway. So I do think it's going to win. I just think it's going to be a slow win. Uh, Max Lucas says, Any thoughts on Curiosity Stream? Um, yeah, it's funny. Somebody posted about how excited they were. They, they'd exhausted Netflix and now they've subscribed to Curiosity Stream. This is a niche. This is a small player. I don't know how to tell you you could invest in this. I mean, Matt, Curiosity Stream, if they had 10 million users ever, I'd be pretty surprised. Do you know this company at all?
1: Uh, no, and it's one I've been meaning to study because some smart people have told me to look at it. Um, it it is a it is a niche but it right now with a market cap of like less than 700 million dollars like there 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 might be there might be a play here uh, investment wise i don't know enough about it to really weigh in though
0: it, it just seems to me and i've only looked at it you know cursorily it just seems to me like it is such a small potential audience it's sort of entertainment learning and any of the cable companies like yeah you know did everyone pretend they watched that like planet earth show like sure but like how many of us watched it let's like ken burns <laughs> documentaries like you need to watch enough so you can like pretend you saw it i i i it, it's not. It's one I would steer clear of, but I promise I will look more into it. Uh, Joey Klein says, finally, YouTube TV, unlimited DVR for the win. Uh, I can still watch The Office whenever I want. Yeah, we didn't talk about the streaming cable services, but obviously, uh, whether it's YouTube, Hulu Live, Sling TV, Fubo, they all have DVR options. And But if you cut the cord and then get Fubo for $65 for the basic package – you're still spending a decent chunk of what you would have spent for cable. So one of the things you have to do is sit down and do the math and say, okay, I got rid of my $120 cable subscription. I already had Netflix, but now I'm paying $10 more for my internet and I'm layering all these things on top of it. Is it actually worth it? I I actually think... We're actually gonna be upset as the cable bundle goes away. There's a lot of things you watch a little. Like last night, I watched uh, MTV Live, which is just a channel that packages old MTV content, uh, live performances mostly. And I watched the Bruce Springsteen Storytellers uh, in a time of upheaval, watching Bruce Springsteen talk about writing the writing the Rising was very comforting. And I'm glad I had it. And I probably won't remember I have that channel for like another three months. But that's the kind of channel that goes away when the cable bundle goes away. But we are going to pivot. We are going to move to what we're watching. In this case, it's only what Max is watching. But before we do that, I want to tease for everybody. We have something really special coming up in the first 15 minutes of Monday's show. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, I I could tell you what it isn't. There is no mystery eighth seven investing person that that's not happening. But for the first, you got to be there. The first 15 minutes, we have a special guest coming on talking about something that is going to be very exciting for people that are subscribers and people who are watching seven investing now, which is, of course, you. That is what you are doing right now, Max. What we're watching. So I picture the mutating COVID virus as sort of like my mental image of like, oh, no, the murder hornets now have knives. Like, like, is that how it works? Like, or can it mutate in like benign ways as well?
2: Yeah. So let's uh, preface this by saying that, you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of talk of, oh, it's mutated or there's this new variant. And yes, that's true. It's, it's mutated quite a lot. And most mutations uh, really don't matter for the most part, right? Um, So just to uh, talk about the vaccines, right? Um, Most of these vaccines are training your immune system uh, to identify and recognize the spike protein on the surface of the virus. Um, So most of these mutations so far uh, haven't changed the structure of the spike protein. So, you know, I've been kind of... uh, you know, you see all these articles about, oh, there's another mutation, and that's what the headline says, and it sounds scary, and then, you know, down in paragraph seven, they say, but there's nothing to worry about. And you're like, hey, come on, you can't do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, as a, as a person of science, it's always like, yeah, okay, I roll my eyes every time we talk about mutations, but there's been two important mutations recently that I am watching and that are actually pretty concerning. Um, so, of course, we've heard about the UK variant, right? This is more transmissible. Um, It's easier to catch. It's easier to pass along to other people. There's also a South African variant. Uh, It looks like it's a version of the UK variant. Um, So it's also easier to transmit, but it's also started to mutate important parts of the spike protein. Uh, So this is very worrisome uh, because it could reduce the efficacy of the vaccines that we're making. Um, It looks like the vaccines will still work. Um, But if it continues to mutate, it could significantly reduce how effective they are. It could mean that people who've uh, had illness in the past or even received the vaccines could still get sick from one of these new variants. And in a worst case scenario, if it keeps mutating, uh, it could mean we have to start the vaccine development process all over again. Um, So this is why it's important, you know, to follow guidelines wherever you are. and, And, you know, every time that someone gets infected, Uh, that's a new host and a new host is an opportunity for the virus to mutate, right? Uh, So when there's millions of cases and people are, you know, acting like nothing's going on, you know, if you're the one that causes the mutation to happen, we have to get, you know, put in lockdowns or start uh, vaccine development again. And we're in this for another year. I mean, that's, that's not a good development. So I, I don't think people are paying, uh, people are paying attention to it, but This really could be pretty serious uh, if this continues. And given the number of cases worldwide, you know, it is possible that this mutates off of the vaccines.
0: So, Max, before I throw to Matt for a question, um, is the best way to make sure this doesn't happen, besides not getting infected, is to just speed up vaccines so there are less hosts available for the virus?
2: I mean, yeah, that could work. Definitely. It would be nice if we, uh, you know, we had, what? at least six months to figure out how to distribute vaccines. And we still don't really have a plan. that's kind of embarrassing um, in other countries as well. So yeah, I mean, it helps for sure. It would at least hopefully reduce the severity of illnesses if you had a, a vaccine, even if you got with the new variant. Um, so yeah, that would be a one quick way to nip it in the bud. But I um, also want to point out, you know, with some of these new variants, they do look like they kind of make uh, antibody drugs less effective or not effective at all. So this is very serious because we've already lost an important whole set of tools in our toolbox uh, to combat this pandemic. Um, There's a a lot of companies developing antibody drugs. Um, Some are already approved and some are, of course, like many more in development. Um, And those might not work against these new variants. So that's that's already kind of alarming, you know. Um, So this is definitely something that uh, we all want to keep an eye on.
0: On that happy note, let me remind you to get in your questions and comments for Max. We are happy to talk about this. But Matt Cochran, uh, I'll make a cable joke. Uh before yeah, it was
1: a lot more fun to talk about Netflix. It was.
0: <laughs> but but I would argue we should be changing spike protein to, of course, the paramount protein. But Matt Cochran, you had a question for Max.
1: Well, you kind of already answered it. I was going to say, like, because of my day job, Max, I, I got uh, vaccinated with the first shot of, of the Moderna vaccine yesterday. And I just wanted to know, like, I mean, so like with these new variants right now, like right now, will all the existing vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and I, I know there's more coming, like. Are, are they still going to be effective against these new variants? And like, what are the like, I, what are the chances like that uh, we will have to get revaccinated?
2: Yeah. So right now they are still effective. That's our best to our best knowledge. Uh, but if it keeps mutating, so to, let's use an analogy, right? Um, you know, the spike protein and uh, what you know we you want your immune system to do. Let's say that's like the keyhole and the key. So the keyhole would be the spike protein. And we're trying to give your immune system the key to close it up and lock it and you won't get sick. Uh, but if that keyhole changes, then you have the wrong key. Right. So uh, it doesn't fit together properly. Um, so right now, there's still enough uh, you know, similarity where uh, these vaccines are still effective. So I don't, I don't want to be too alarming and say, you know, the sky is falling. Um, but for sure, uh, it's possible that if the certain parts of the spike protein structure mutate enough, then it's possible that we do... Uh, you know, significantly uh, have reduced efficacy of these vaccines that are, have already been made, you know, because they, they were designed off of the sequences we had in, you know, January and February. Um, so, you know, here we are a year later from when those vaccines were designed, um, you know, so it, it would matter quite a bit.
0: So, Max, before we throw out, we'll close out with a question from Joseph Peter, but I will point out federal government, state governments, whoever's watching. <laughs> here at 7investing, we use an app called Calendly. So if we want to set up a bunch of appointments, uh, we, we did calls with subscribers who wanted to talk to us. We did one on one calls and we scheduled it in this app that I don't know what it costs, but like 30 bucks, maybe 40 bucks. So maybe if the whole country could just get the Calendly app and we could have an organized system of who, when, where and why. And I'm joking a little bit. But it shouldn't be this hard to get vaccines out, and I don't want to get political because it's it's being screwed up in 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 all sorts of places of both political parties. Let's get the vaccines out. I want to be playing blackjack without fear of death. Like, like this is okay. this is you know, I want my biggest fear to be that you know the the, the dealer is gonna. Gonna pull a five on a sixteen <laughs> where he has to hit. Like this is not. I don't want to think like, oh, the guy next to me is coughing. Was he up too late or does he have the plague? Like this is absolutely depressing. But we are going to enter the home stretch, and uh, this actually came to us on Twitter from Doug Baird Miller, and uh, we we talked about doing this on Wednesday, but we didn't get to it till today. So Doug, we appreciate you waiting. How do you decide how many stocks to have in your portfolio, uh, Matt? You haven't filled it in on the sheet, so I'm going to start with Max in case this is the first you're hearing this question.
2: Uh, so for me, um, you know, I'm still younger in my uh, investing journey. You know, Dan and, and Matt went to uh, high school with Moses, right? So they <laughs> they might have a, a a bit different story and trajectory.
0: Hey, um, Max, if- let, let me interject for one second. I forgot Joseph Peters' question. We will get to that before the end of the show. Go ahead.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Back to Moses. Um, so <laughs> no, uh, but it doesn't matter where you are, right? Maybe you're 47, you start investing. Maybe you're 16. Good for you. And you start investing. Um, but you know, so how I approach it, I mean, I, my approach to investing in general is a bottom up approach. So I really try to understand, uh, in a lot of detail, uh, what I'm getting into the technology platforms. And then I try to have a, I have a more focused portfolio because of that. So I make bigger bets on fewer companies. Uh, and I just feel, I want to feel very good about those companies. Uh, so that's, I tend to have a smaller, more concentrate portfolio. Yes, I do miss opportunities from time to time. Uh, but I've also had many less losers in recent years uh, by you know just sticking to that approach. But that's only that's just my approach. There's different ways to do it.
0: Yeah, Matt, what is your approach? Do you own hundreds of stocks? Do you own a lot of three? How do you do it?
2: All right. So my, uh,
1: well, let me say this. I think so much of this depends on your temperament and personality, uh, because so much of investing comes down to uh, like your emotional, like your EQ, not your IQ. Uh, That being said, like what I try to do is like, I buy the intellectual arguments that running a concentrated portfolio might be better than buying like a hundred companies. That being said, like I I personally just try to find a happy medium. I tried to never go over 40 stocks in my portfolio. At at that point, I do start trimming. Um, But if I ran a concentrated portfolio, uh, like I would be much more conservative than I am now. And allowing myself to like if I thought like I had to buy a five percent position to get started in a in a growth company I was interested in, I would I, there's a lot of times I wouldn't do it and that would be that would have been proven to be a mistake looking back. Uh, you know I can talk about like shopify or mongodb or or many other companies that um like I was a little cautious when I was first buying them um and 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 just started off small and built those positions up slowly. So what, what I do is like I, I give myself permission to go a little over like the concentrated portfolio approach, um, you know, so I, I do I'll, I'll go to 30, 30 to 40 companies is kind of my sweet spot that I find for myself. But again, kind of know yourself, you know, like know yourself, like if you can, you know, if, if you can run a concentrated portfolio, great, but if not, that's fine, too.
0: Yeah, and don't avoid making the picks that could turn out to be your Tom Brady. Like, you know, you you might have that company that's not on anyone else's radar, little skinny doesn't run that well. Like, you know, you make that pick and all of a sudden, you know, you go to nine Super Bowls. Like that could happen. I'm mixing metaphors all over the place <laughs> there. There, but you 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 all understand what I am saying. So, I do things in two ways. And this has evolved since I came to 7 Investing. Um I have I try to keep my personal picks that I have a thesis on, that I'm doing research on, to about 15. That's a number that could go up because of what we do for a living, because unlike most people watching, I assume, we get paid to follow stocks. So if that number itches to 16 or 18 or 20, because I have more time to do this than the average person because it's my job. But those are stocks where it's my thinking, it's my rationale. I have no limit on the stocks I buy a small piece of because when Matt or Max or Austin or Steve or Simon or Manisha pitched it, I went, wow, I like that. I'll buy a little bit of that and I'll keep an eye on it. And if it does well, maybe I'll buy a little bit more or if they pitch it again or whatever it is. To me, those are stocks I don't have to look into. I don't have to do any research. I don't even know what most of them are. I, I would have to go back to watch the video to remember why I bought it. So if that gets up to 50 stocks that I all have like you know a tiny stake in, but a few of them become mega companies, um, overall, I will probably win and it'll probably be really exciting even if I've have to take out the losses and go, well, I didn't make that much money in that portion of my portfolio. But this one company's up 130% in, in 18 months or, or whatever it is. Um, that's how I do it. So 10 to 15 in my own, I have 10 right now, but that's going to grow in my own thesis. I've done the research. I keep doing the homework. And I'm buying one to three every month when we do, you know, after we do our picks, after we release them publicly, uh, which is just like wow, we have a really smart team. So how do you profit from that team? Of course, you can watch us here on 7investing now. You can also subscribe. We give you our seven best stock picks every month. Max is almost always going to give you one you've never heard of. Uh, next month, I might give you one you've barely heard of. Go to 7investing.com slash subscribe. For $17 a month or $170 a year, you'll get our best ideas each month. You'll get access to us, team calls, uh, members-only calls, new member calls, all sorts of exciting stuff. Uh, uh, Max will juggle on camera for you if you want. Whatever it is, we are a customer service-friendly team. We are happy you are here. We hope many of you join. Guys, it is time to hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, our our marketing director, our person behind the proverbial glass. Thank you for sharing the graphic. Which method of taking a a company public do you prefer? 27% said IPO. 33% said SPAC. That's a surprise for me. 39.2% said direct listing. I thought SPAC was going to win just because it's so hot. Guys, I'm in the minority here. I actually prefer an IPO. And that's not best for the company. It's not best for the investor who buys on day one, but it is the best for transparency. You do have way more in the way of SEC regulation and access to data. For me, that gives me the foundation that if I want to buy after a couple of quarters, I'll be able to do that. I don't feel the same way about direct listings or SPACs, both of which can be good for investors, certainly can be good for the company in terms of how much money they raise. Matt, do you have any thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I actually, I I think it might depend. Um, Like I'll I'll say this, like I was really uh, like direct listings. If a company needs money, like I wasn't like a big fan of them because they're just selling existing shares and not raising money. However, how Roblox is going to do it like um, for their, when they're about to list in the the next month or so, um, they raised money in a private round at the valuation that they're going to direct list. And I kind of like that. Um, So I think it maybe just depends on the company's situation. And why they're going public
0: and Robux, they sell bathrobes made out of Lego like material if I'm remembering correctly
1: <laughs> they uh, they it's it's on your digital screen so it might look like Legos uh, I think a lot of them do actually but uh, yeah they are it's uh, it's doing something special creating a virtual world uh, like uh with for games and and there's like a million or so game developers on their platform
0: it's an interesting company. It's impressive that they didn't just call it minecraft but uh, you know, it, it is a very Minecraft-like platform. Max Chasco, I'll give you the last word, and then we'll get to Joseph Peter's question.
2: Yeah, I uh, I agree with both of you guys. That's kind of a boring answer, right? But um, you know, a direct listing or SPAC does tend to be more efficient, tends to be better for the company. You know, with IPOs, you're just getting letting investment banks and the book runners uh, kind of profit from that. And in this market, we've seen some companies really lose out on a bunch of money. Um, yeah, there could be some changes to some of the regulations for transparency. We've seen I've seen some criticisms that are probably well-deserved for SPACs in terms of uh, there's less regulation on how you can market those, right? They tend to be a little more hypey. It's a little easier to uh, amplify those. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I'm going to own the company, though, I want it to be uh, as beneficial to the company as possible. So uh, I'd probably go with direct listing as well in terms of, um, you know, the best, the best move for the company.
0: I feel better about a SPAC, a direct listing, an IPO, if I know and trust the management, which is uh, probably true no matter how you go public. Max, why don't you give Joseph Peter the last word, share his question and your answer?
2: Yeah. So Joseph asks, uh, if lots of people refuse the vaccine, will that enable the virus to mutate? Uh, so um, yeah, broadly, yes. You know, ag- Again, the more people that do become infected, uh, the more chances that the virus has to mutate, um, right? The virus Enters a host, it replicates, and when it's replicating, it can mutate. Uh, if it does that on the spike protein, um, which is it looks like it's occurring with this South African uh, variant, uh, then you know, yeah, that can potentially be a bad thing. Uh, but again, I don't think very many people at the end of the day are going to refuse vaccines. Uh, we've seen the polls uh, increase in, in percentages of how many people say they're willing to accept it. And I think everybody at this point really wants to get back to normal. So you know, I think also you might answer a poll differently and then quietly like go to CVS and and get vaccinated anyway. So, um, I I don't, I don't think it's really going to be a big issue at the end of the day.
0: If you see the lines of Florida seniors that I'm sure Matt has seen on the news who are lined up because Publix is is giving out doses. Um, those are in some pretty conservative places. I I feel like people turning it down is not going to be the issue we, we thought it was. Um, Hey, I'm also fine with it. People don't want it for now, and it gets me to the front of the line sooner. Like, Not going to cut the line, but if you pass up on your chance, I would like the vaccine. That brings us to the end of the Friday edition of 7 Investing Now. So Let's recap a little bit. Remember that on Monday, we have something very special at the 12 o'clock hour right at the top of the show. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to throw it over to Simon Erickson with something special and worth tuning in for. Wish I could tell you more, but it wouldn't be a great cliffhanger if I did. Um, how do you get in touch with us? Well, it's pretty easy to do. If you have a question for us, if you want to share a show topic, ask anything about our service, whatever it is, you can reach us at info at seveninvesting.com. That's usually Steve Symington. He sends it out to the team. A lot of times on Slack, he'll say, Hey, here's this question. Anybody want to answer it? Uh, and as you saw with Doug Baird Miller's question, we answered him via email, uh, or, or via Twitter. We also talked about it on the show. We spent, I don't know, 10 minutes talking about it today. So we'd love to interact with you. We also recommend follow us at 7investing. That's the number 7investing on Twitter and interact with us there. Um, We are... Absolutely happy to ha- to answer questions. There, hit any of us up on Twitter. But if you hit the group account, it, the right person will figure it out. Maybe multiple of us. That's one thing we pride ourselves on. We we are real people. We interact with you. Uh, you know, we don't know if you're members or not. If you're members, you have other great ways of interacting with us. Uh, we are really excited to be doing this. Again, rest in peace, Tommy Lasorda. For Matt Cochran, for Max Chasco. Okay. I'm Dan Klein. Thank you for joining us. We will see you on Monday.
2: A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.